0: Give Me Fiction is presented by Boing Boing. Welcome to Give Me Fiction. My name is Ivan Hernandez, and I'll be your host. Each month at Gimme Fiction, some of the finest minds in comedy, literature, and the arts write pieces based on a theme. Each week on this podcast, we deliver one of those readings to the listening public. For this episode, we bring you a piece by writer Tara Marsden. For the power-themed GMF, she told a story of corporate vampirism in At the Gates of the Center.
1: When the first Greater Good, trademark, center opened in our town, no one seemed to mind. Really, we hardly even noticed. The place itself was wholly unremarkable, hiding there in our blind spot, a small pretty weed whose poisoned roots, it turns out, were already firmly anchored in our soil. We couldn't remember the time before when the place was a favorite hole in the wall, a diner owned by an old man of mythical kindness, the type that only exists in library books or our parents or grandparents' memories. In our earliest memories, it was already a decrepit fast food joint, the kind you smell from a mile off. It's tangible grease in our atmosphere, a thick layer of film like the Custard Center in a Boston cream pie. Mm -hmm. And then more recently, it was nothing, nothing at all. The franchise owners had wanted to expand into a newly available two story further downtown and the sad square little building slept quietly on its abandoned gray corner while we marked the passage of time in our way marring the stucco walls with very colored graffiti until it took on the look of a young monster or an ancient fish Mm -hmm. grotesque but easily ignored. Then one yellow fog morning, without warning, there was a chain-link fence around the perimeter and our tags were buried beneath an off-white facade trimmed with sea green, the monster tamed into something perfectly, impressively bland. There must have been some reports on the news, but of course we didn't watch the news. No, it wasn't until the protests began that some of us started paying attention. Almost as suddenly as the fence had appeared, an eclectic crowd began to gather and convulse each day against the new boundary, made up mostly of ragged, thin hippies and liberal housewives fueled by righteous fury. They carried loudly painted signs. People aren't batteries. Pain is not power. Greater good, trademark, Mm -hmm. equals worst evil. We approached them quietly like cautious rabbits. What the fuck is it anyway? We said. Nearby stood an angry, bedraggled young woman. They found another way to bleed us dry, she said. It didn't take all that long for us to divine the new purpose of the old building. One afternoon, as we spread ourselves across a peeling stoop, hanging back to observe the protesters, whose passion only increased as their numbers slowly decreased, we saw Jake walk out of the center and past the picket line, hands in his pockets, loping toward us like a tired fly. Well, what is it like, we said. He shrugged. Then he pulled from his pocket a thick stack of bills, real and green and pretty. Did it hurt? His eyes squinted hard. He breathed in sharp through his nose. Not really, was all he said. For a while, he was the only one of us to go inside, and each time he came back with his hands in his pockets, palms sweating as he tightly gripped his hard-won prize. Sometimes the stack of bills was thicker than others. He didn't say another word about it, but we guessed that the difference in pay depended on how much hurt he carried that day. Some days were harder than others, and those were the days that paid the best. We weren't really surprised that he was the first of us to use the center. A few weeks after it opened, his sister died on the tracks of the subway station. It was never clear if she had jumped or fallen. We didn't ask. We learned early in life to stop wondering the why of it all. It didn't make much difference either way. We watched the fat, ripe fruits of his pain grow and gather about his shoulders, practically dripping red. And there was the center, conveniently waiting for him, ready for the harvest. Then one day, he didn't come by the stoop. We saw him leaving the center like so many times before, only when he reached the sidewalk, he turned the other way and kept walking. Perhaps he decided to start using a different center. Perhaps he got sick of the unfailing catch in our breath each time he joined us, the unacknowledged pause in conversation. It would have been easy for him to donate somewhere else. Centers had started popping up like toxic daffodils in other neighborhoods, their popularity unsurprisingly increased by all the publicity from the protests. Soon our whole town and many others were powered by the energy gathered at the centers. Politicians heralded the imminent end of the country's energy crisis. Here, finally, was an unlimited source of fuel. We never saw Jake again. But one by one, others of us started to cross that line. Johnny, when his mother got sick. Miguel, when he lost his job and then his apartment. Sarah, after she miscarried. Everyone that crossed came back at first like Jake. Jake. We tried harder to hide our confusion, our curiosity, our judgment, but still we watched as our numbers steadily dwindled. And then it was just me on the stoop, stupid and perfectly lost, like the last bird on the wire in October who finds itself surprised to be alone in the rain. But I didn't wallow in solitude long. With no anchor in that place, I seen abandoned it as well. As I wandered down the block on pavement polka-dotted with grime, I couldn't imagine where I could possibly go. "'I was untethered. My skin felt like paper. "'I was flimsy with a useless freedom. "'With no real desires to guide me, "'I can't say it was a great shock "'when I found myself at the gate of the center. "'An old woman, protest sign dragging "'on the sidewalk beside her, "'looked at me quietly behind wrinkled lids, lids "'which sagged with the weight of her now solo mission. "'She, too, was the last of her kind, "'and she finally, when she recognized the same in me, "'she seemed to deflate altogether "'like a whale on a forgotten beach. "'I looked right through her "'and took my, step, my first step within the perimeter.' walking with false determination toward the green door. I paused briefly there before opening it. Inside it was frigid, made more so by the stark white of the walls and the fluorescence above. Of course, this was not a place to get too comfortable. Slowly I surveyed the others in the waiting room. I should not have been surprised to find it so crowded, but somehow I still was. I could guess no average age for those faces. There were unkempt men with slick scalps shining in the white light. There was a young woman softly crying into her paisley scarf. Some of them looked homeless, many of them looked awkwardly normal, blank and undisturbed. It could have been the waiting room of a dentist's office, or the DMV. I recognized the floor. It was the same speckled charcoal linoleum from the old days as a fast food place. An older woman in a low-cut dress sat at the check-in desk. Um, I said. First time, she said. Yeah. She smiled a little too kindly and handed me a clipboard. We just need you to fill out these forms. Take your time and bring them back here when you're ready. I blinked and took the clipboard from her neon-lacquered fingertips. I looked around for a pen and saw a mason jar filled with them, each one individually taped in forest green to the stem of a silk flower, forming a winking, macabre bouquet. I took a seat and started reading through the forms. Beneath a few predictable lines for name, date of birth, occupation, and so on, there was a short survey. On a scale of one to ten, how much pain would you say you're in? (coughs) There was a column of round-numbered bubbles beneath, each accompanied by a matching emoticon, answers varying from 1, no pain, big toothy smile, to 10, excruciating, weepy frown with minute X's for eyes. I thought for a moment, then carefully filled in the bubble next to 7, above average, little face with crooked grimace. I was suddenly reminded of exams in school, of those ready-made forms that were meant to be scanned and corrected by a special machine. Our teachers had always repeated with the same severity that it was absolutely essential that we fill the bubble in its entirety with number two pencils in order for the machine to render an accurate grade. Next question. Why are you in pain? More bubbles, now followed by brief, simple explanations. Death of a loved one. Divorce. Loss of employment. Failure to reach goal. There was also a bubble beside a short line, presumably a fill-in-the-blank for those circumstances less common. I marked the bubble next to general loneliness. There were a few other questions, somewhat repetitive in style and content, and then another page regarding health and family history before finally a line for your signature. Signing unequivocally absolved greater good, trademark, for legal responsibi- from regal, of legal responsibility in case of unusual response to the procedure, while also binding you to absolute confidentiality. I rem- I remembered the way the others had looked at me in silence after leaving the center, and I understood. Hardly glancing at the final line, I signed it in childish cursive. I returned the clipboard and the hideous flower pen to the receptionist. Someone will be with you shortly. I sat again, unabashedly staring at the others waiting, watching as some of them were called by first names into the other room. Finally, I heard my own name. The other room only increased increased the impression of a dentist's office. There were cabinets of stainless steel along the walls, a large, unrecognizable machine buzzing with a quiet whir like wasps before a flood, and and a single reclining chair in the center. I was led by a tall, clean, middle-aged woman in a lab coat who absently pointed at the chair. When I sat down, she pulled up a small stool beside me. I saw my clipboard in her hand. So I understand this is your first time. I said nothing. And I expect you know what we do here? No, actually, uh, they never said much about it. She smiled. Good, then let me explain a little. (coughs) It isn't quite true, but think of this place as a power plant. Imagine... You're home. You switch the lights on. You plug your phone in to charge overnight. That energy must come from somewhere. It came from fossil fuels once, but that wasn't sustainable. You know what is sustainable? You. Me. Our critics like to say that we take advantage of human suffering, but what they call suffering we know to be a natural part of life. And isn't it better for us to use this natural energy for the greater good? I said nothing. She took my silence for a scent and began taping wires to my temple and wrists. Do I, you know... Need to think about it? No, she said. All that you feel is already there inside you. It doesn't matter if you know it. Once I was fully plugged in, tangled in wires like a moth in a cobweb, blue lights began to gleam from the machine. A cerulean glow fell over the room, reflected in the steel walls. She'd said I didn't need to think about it, but uh, think about anything, but I found Jake's face drifting into my mind. Then Johnny's, and Miguel's, then Sarah's. I lingered for an eternal moment there, on Sarah's face. And then the blue glow faded. The word died down. A receipt printed from the side of the machine. Not bad, she said. She stepped out for a moment, through yet another door. When she came back, she had a stack of green bills in her hand, like Jake's that first day, though maybe there were fewer. That didn't matter, though. She handed them over to me with a polite nod. I said nothing.
0: You can find Tara on Twitter at Gory Rillmore. Give Me Fiction's live show happens the first Sunday of every month at Lost Weekend Video in San Francisco, California. GMF is produced by Will Scoville. For news, updates, and more, check out gimmefiction.net, at gmfshow on Twitter, and facebook.com slash gimmefiction. You can email us at gmfshow at gmail.com and can donate to the show through PayPal at the same address. I'm online at ivanhernandez.net, and on Twitter at Ivan underscore Hernandez. Our theme song is provided by Power Pyramid, and you can check out more of their music at powerpyramid.bandcamp.com. You can listen to us on SoundCloud and Stitcher. If you enjoyed the show, you can rate and review us on the iTunes Store. This has been Gimme Fiction.